Now John was clothed with camel hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with whom, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Thus far in our text for this morning is the verses 14 and 15. And after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming, or if you will, preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he add his blessing to the hearing the reading, and the preaching of his word again this morning. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, gathered here in Wellenport with me this morning. Some time ago, a religious periodical found its way into my mailbox, sent to me by a religious institution with which I was familiar but not really particularly enamored by. And, but I quickly scanned the magazine, planning to discard it into the recycle, but before I could dispose of it, one article kind of jumped out at me and caught my interest. It was, in t- it was entitled, Taking Soundings. Taking Soundings. Now, the word soundings is a nautical term. It's a word that sailors would be familiar with. And in earlier days, uh, it, before ships had sonar and radar and depth finders and all that modern technology, when a ship sailed into unknown waters, a line, a long line with a weight was dropped overboard in order to manually test the depth of the water. And the line was marked off in certain increments, and that way it could be determined just precisely how much water was under the keel of the vessel. And since the waters were unknown to the captain, in order to prevent running aground, the sailors would measure the depth of the water. And that operation was called taking soundings. And now the author of the article which I read compared the modern church to a ship And he suggested that the church is on a voyage, making her way through the seas of life, journeying on to that other shore. And properly understood, that analogy fits perfectly. However, the author then made a profound statement when he wrote, and I quote, The contemporary church has no earthly chance of survival in this modern age. She has no hope of finding her way using the Bible as a compass unless she has the faith and the courage to launch out into the deep and chart new waters which will lead to new truth, end quote. I was taken aback. 
I had to stop and think about that for a moment. For in essence, he was urging the church, he was urging the church to reevaluate existing truth. And my dear people of God, that advice is not new. <coughs> if we were to isolate the one element that distinguishes Orthodox Christianity from modernity and liberalism, it would center around the concept of truth. Orthodox Christians insist that truth is exclusive, it is absolute, it is eternal, and can be known from the Scriptures. Modernists and liberals, they would suggest that truth is relative, it is fluid, it evolves, and it changes with the times. And according to classic liberalism, we just cannot be so sure about any truth anymore. As culture changes, as science changes, truth changes with it. And what was true yesterday may no longer be true today and certainly won't be true tomorrow. As example, they would argue that a literal ex, uh, ex nihilo creation, meaning that a creation by divine fiat using no pre-existing material in a space of six ordinary days, Believing that may have been okay years ago, but thanks to what science has taught us since, we now know that not to be true. Same thing with male-female relations in the home and in the church. Liberal tell us that indeed we know male headship was true at one time, but women have different status in this culture. And the role of men and women taught in Scripture has been reevaluated and found to be wanting, so that that truth also needs to be abandoned. Male headship is no longer true in this age. And again, <coughs> excuse me. And again, indeed, biblical norms of human sexuality and gender assignment was fixed. It was true and universally accepted, but our culture has changed. Our scientific knowledge has, has advanced, and we now know those truths no longer to hold true. So what was offered in that article, then, was a statement of all classic liberalism. The article suggested that we live in a modern age, and therefore what was true centuries ago is no longer true today. And besides, what is true for you is not necessarily true for me. And therefore, the author urged us to cast aside our preconceived notions about truth and suggested that we together move with the times by taking soundings to arrive at a new and a relevant truth for our modern age. According to the very liberal views of the author of this article, we must realize that because of all the new knowledge of our age, especially new scientific knowledge, all truth is once again up for grabs. And what we must now do is we must experiment and we must search for new truths. It's a time, he said, to take soundings. And congregation, the words may be used differently, but you've all heard the same language. How often has it not been said to you as it's been said to me? You just can't say that anymore. You just can't say this is what the Lord says because we just can't be so sure anymore. What you believe may have been true back then, but we live in a different age now. Things are different now. Our culture has changed over the years, so what was true then is not necessarily true today. My dear precious people of God gathered with me here in Wellenport this morning, we especially, we as Christians, we are living, hear me well, we are living in a time of crisis. 
We are indeed sailing on the sea of life. We are indeed on our way to that golden shore. But as we sail, we are being tossed about by every new and strange wind of doctrine. And now we're even being told that we have no chart. We have no compass. We have no map. We can only take soundings and we can try to discover our way in the storm. How very, very frightening. Praise be to God, we have answer. We have a chart and we have a compass. We do not have to take soundings. The way has been made clear for us and a safe arrival has been guaranteed for all who will follow that course set out by our Lord. We begin to hear it already in our text. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming or preaching. Jesus came into Galilee preaching for our mutual benefit, for the strengthening of the church, for the advancement of the kingdom, and for God's glory. I administer God's word to you this morning using as my theme the preaching of the coming of the kingdom. The preaching of the coming of the kingdom. We want to see, first of all, that the king comes to preach the kingdom, and then we will see the content of the king's preaching or proclamation. So the preaching of the coming of the kingdom. The king comes to preach the kingdom and the content of the king's preaching. Congregation, in order for us to properly interpret it, we need to know that the word translated here into preaching comes from a word that originally was not confined to the realm of Christianity or even to the Christian church. The word was originally used in connection with the cult of emperor worship, if you will. Years ago, when a son and an heir was born to the emperor, a herald or a messenger was sent out to proclaim that news. An authoritative proclamation of a certain fact was made, and the word that that was used for that process was the word translated into preaching. And such, such a proclamation was made when a royal heir was born, again when he came of age, and again when he assumed his father's throne. And the message was sent out proclaiming the news to all and sundry in the kingdom. And now, using that definition, what we are told in our text is that after John was cast into prison, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming, preaching, announcing, heralding an authoritative truth. It was not an opinion that was brought, but it was a statement of fact. And we could compare that messenger to, for instance, a town crier, if you're more familiar with that. Uh, He was a man who had a specific message to proclaim. He blows a clear and a certain sound on his trumpet, and he urges one and all to listen, for he he has been authorized to convey a specific truth. And that's the term used here in our text. And that was what our Lord did in Galilee. And so what we see in our text, first of all, is that Mark starts with a note of certainty. He starts with an announcement of proclamation conveying certain facts which are issued from the imperial palace. That was the first word here. The beginning, we read it together, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we read. And then in our text, he continues... After John was cast into prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching. 
And now we need to capture this for a moment, for you see, when those heralds stood up in the name of the king, when they were sent out to speak on the king's behalf, they didn't give something of their own opinion. They did not say, well, I think such and such. I think, no, they stood up with a, with a scroll in their hands, and in the name of the emperor, they proclaimed what the emperor insisted that his subjects know. What the king said, they said. And what they said was what the king had commanded them to say. Nothing more, nothing less. And that is preaching. Preaching is heralding God's word and God's truth. It's not a matter of opinion. It is a statement of fact. It is a statement of truth. The very word preaching carries with it the whole notion of authority. People God, capture this with me. The, for the, capture the, the immense comfort for us here. Using the illustration of the article entitled Soundings, here we are, all of us, you and I, all of us, we're out on this sea called life. And in the midst of our heartbreak, our sorrow, our anxiety, our uncertainty, in the midst of all of our shortcomings and failures, Rather than being urged to head into unknown waters, experimenting with soundings that may or may not lead us to that eternal shore, instead, and praise be to God, instead, we suddenly we hear a trumpet blast. And we hear an authoritative proclamation. We hear a message from the imperial palace. We hear a message from the throne room of God. We hear Christ the King preaching, saying, Listen to me. Follow me. This is the way. Abandon your sounding tools. Throw them overboard. And I will lead you safely home to that eternal golden shore. And that, according to Mark, that was the beginning of the gospel. And translating all of that into contemporary language now, it simply means this. God still today... He sends heralds in his name by way of preachers. They're not given, nor are they sent to tell you theories or matters of their own opinion. They're not sent to tell stories or to offer opinions. They are most certainly not sent to take soundings. No, they've come to say with authority of God, listen to me, listen to me. I have a message to you for you from the king, from the king of kings. He has sent me to you to say, thus saith the Lord. And my dear people, God preachers are not sent to lead you on a journey in a quest or a search for truth. No, ministers are called to say, all of your questions have already been answered. They are to say, listen to my voice, listen to me speaking, for I speak the words of Christ himself after him. Hear in my voice the Master's proclamation, and you will find your way, and you will find peace for your soul. And then, and then, and then, when it is required of you to pass from time to eternity, then you will know where you are going, for you will be able to say, along with the Apostle Paul, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day you will be able to say with conviction and with confidence, I know that to be true because I've heard the king 
preaching. Oh, people of God, having understood what is at stake here, praise God with me then. Praise God with me then for that kind of authoritative proclamation. Praise God with me then that you still find yourself in a church that's not on a search for truth, but a church that proclaims and preaches truth. But as we continue to read our text, we discover that not only has the king come to proclaim or to preach, but in his preaching, he proclaims a plan and a purpose. We hear the message of the king in our text, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That's the great message of the Bible from beginning to the end. God has a plan God has a purpose for this world of sin and shame, and it's a plan to deliver man, to rescue him out of this uncertain world. In the midst of this uncharted ocean, Christ announces that God has given us chart and compass to lead us out of this morass into which we had plunged ourselves already in the garden. My dear saints of God gathered with me here in Wellenport, The message of the Bible is not to urge us to find truth, no. The Bible insists that we listen to existing truth, God's truth. You see, the Bible wants us to know that not only does God have a plan, we are further told in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 that God has made his plan known. We read there that God, who in past times spoke to us through the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us through his Son, You see, the Old Testament is nothing other than God revealing his plan and his purpose. You know the story. In order to redeem fallen men and women, God takes a man named Abraham, turns him into a great nation. He spoke to that nation, and they collected all of his words, and they were now in possession of the oracles of God. God then takes a man named Moses. He reveals to him how the world was created and what had happened to his creation through the fall into sin. And then he reveals to him a little bit of his plan for the future. And then Christ appears in the world, making plain the full revelation of God's plan for mankind. And the apostles of the New Testament continue to herald the news of that same plan It's all there. It's all there. Nothing new needs to be added. All that is needed has already been given. In all true preaching, then, we hear the old, old story saying, this is the way. This is the only way. This is God's plan. Believe this. Act on this. You will find it to be true. Believe the gospel. Repent of your sin. People of God, in this context, now capture with me the foolishness, the utter foolishness to say that things have changed. How foolish to say the old truths just won't do in this age. How foolish to say, but things are different now. Times are different now. God has not changed. All of our new scientific evidence makes not the slightest difference to him. God and God's message to man has never changed. And neither man nor the purpose of the church has changed. It's still the same holy God. It's still the same corrupt fallen man of centuries ago. It's still the same problem. And the solution to the problem, according to the Lord, is still the same. The answer is the preaching, the coming 
of the kingdom. Oh, that man now lives in a modern world. That's an undeniable fact. We all know that to be true. But, but, but it's a fact that makes no difference to the content of the proclamation. The message preached over 2,000 years ago is the same message that must still be preached today. Why? Because men and women of today are still the same as men and women of then. The passing of centuries has done nothing to improve the condition of natural man. In the beginning, there was Cain and Abel. Cain was jealous of Abel, killed him. Read the history of the Old Testament characters, and what do you find? Drunkards, adulterers, thieves, jealous people, spiteful people, greedy people, liars, all the rest. Is it any different today? Has mankind improved in this modern age? Even with all of his newly acquired modern knowledge, we know better. We need to simply watch our newscasts on their television sets to see that man, if anything, has not gotten better. He's probably gotten much worse. My dear precious people of God, forgive me for using a personal illustration, but several weeks ago, my wife and I went out for lunch with several other couples, and the conversation soon focused on the world celebration of Pride Month and all that that entailed, and it became very clear quickly that the majority report around the table was that we just can't be so sure. We may not be so judgmental because even though the scripture speaks clearly on the issue, we just can't be so sure because there are different ways of looking at that truth and there are different ways to interpret those texts. Do you see what has happened? These were friends and family members of mine. They were all church-going people. But the consensus among them was, we can't be so sure. We need to take soundings. My dear precious saints of God gathered with me here. When the church preaches, she does not say, come and join us in uncharted waters and join with us as we search for new truth. The church doesn't say, let's look at this a little different now. Let's look at this in the context of our present culture. The church does not say, let's look at this in the context of the new evidence about human sexuality. No. The church stands up and says, look back. Look back 2,000 years ago. Look back to the first century and see when John was thrown into prison, Jesus came and said, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. That's it. That's it. Oh, people of God, gird up the loins of your mind with me for a few moments and capture this important concept. Mark tells us that this happened when John had been cast into prison. In other words, at a certain time in history, it happened that Jesus came into the world preaching, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Do you hear it? Mark is saying to his audience that God, he says, God, as you know, has been promising all through the Old Testament that he's going to do something really important. Remember already in the garden, God had promised that after the fall that you will be punished for your sin, but the seed of the woman will bruise the serpent's head. And that same promise in different words was repeated over and over and over again throughout all of the Old Testament. All through the Old Testament we're told, prepare a highway, be ready. The Messiah is coming. And throughout all of history, eager hearts have anticipated and awaited, awaited the coming. 
And then, and then suddenly, suddenly, the Lord suddenly appears, and he, he grows and he begins to preach. What did he preach? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come. In other words, Jesus comes into Galilee and announces that what God has been promising for centuries is now fulfilled. (coughs) When John was cast into prison, Jesus came preaching the good news of the gospel. When John the Baptist, Baptist had been imprisoned, that's the point in history that God fulfilled his promise. Oh, people of God, follow with me now for a moment as we as we try to fit some of these pieces together into one great glorious truth. Our Lord, back in his hometown of Nazareth, as, he, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and we read that they handed him the book, and he began to read, and this is what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, to give sight to the blind, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That's what he read from the prophet Isaiah. And then we read, he closed the book and he gave it back to the minister, if you will. And he sat down. And then we read that the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were riveted upon him. And now notice with me what happens next. Jesus then says, this day, this day, the scripture has been fulfilled in your ears, your hearing. The kingdom of God has arrived in the world. The day of God's favor has come. The day of grace has arrived. Oh, good news for all who heard and understood. Good news for all who eagerly awaited this day. Good news for all who had eagerly awaited the fulfillment of the promise of God. And congregation, that is now the message of Christianity. Here it is in our text. Now after John the Baptist was put into prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the coming of the kingdom and saying, the time is fulfilled. God has kept his promise. What does it now mean? Oh, it doesn't mean as the liberals would have us know that we need to try to discern new truths. No, it means the exact opposite. Jesus closes the book. He gives it back to the minister. He sits down and he says, This day the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come in the person of Jesus Christ. When John had been cast into prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching, Repent and believe the gospel. Not search for it, not try to find it, not try to reason it out, not try to reason it away, not try to discover new truths. No, repent and believe the gospel. When John was cast into prison, Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, saying, repent and believe the gospel. Repentance and faith was the very cornerstone of Christ's earthly ministry. It was the essence of all preaching in the history of the Bible. It is still the only faithful preaching today. Repent of your sin and believe the gospel. There now we see the reason that the gospel of Jesus Christ is impossible for liberals to suggest that modern men and women need to repent over sin is an offense to the natural mind because unregenerate, meaning non-Christians, non-born-again people have convinced themselves of man's natural goodness. 
to also believe in supernatural facts as having actually happened in history is an affront to their natural reasoning, and all of it must be rejected. And therefore, the gospel, as presented by Orthodox Christianity, must be discarded, and we must take soundings. We must discover new truths. But, 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 but. The church of our Lord Jesus Christ has heard and believed the gospel as presented and preached by her Lord. Repent and believe the gospel. That's the proclamation of the gospel preached by Christ and repeated in all faithful preaching and faithful churches up to and including today. And such preaching insists of us to know that all of us, all of us by nature are children of wrath conceived and born in sin. Each of us, from the youngest to the eldest, from the greatest to the least, from the minister on down to the youngest child in the congregation, all must flee to the hope set before us in the gospel and believe it if we would see salvation. People of God, the content of Christ's preaching was that as we drift on this storm-tossed sea called life, as we are tossed to and fro by winds and waves threatening to consume us, as we struggle on our way from this life to the next, we shall never find that eternal shore if we die impenitent or unbelieving. That was the message preached by Christ 2,000 years ago. And it's the same message that I'm called to preach in his name to you today. Only those who repent and believe can die confidently in the Lord. Congregation, how frightening then to believe that truth, truth which has eternal consequences for the soul, cannot be known with any degree of certainty. How frightening to think that no one has a corner on the truth and that all of us will have to wait until the close of the age to see what that truth actually was. But what a tremendous comfort is afforded to all of those who have heard and know the truth because they have believed the truth preached by those sent by God to administer His word his truth. How liberating, how gloriously thrilling to know that in spite of our sin, in spite of our daily failure, we know the truth. How gloriously liberating and thrilling to know the truth that God has sent his own Son into the world to reconcile us unto himself in our own utter hopelessness and helplessness. All we need to do is repent of our sin and then believe that we may cast ourselves in him and then we may cling to him for all eternity. That is the truth and it is the most glorious good news that has ever been preached. Repent then and believe the gospel. Shall we pray? Lord, having heard the glorious good news of the gospel, once again we can do no better than to echo the words of the hymn writer when he begged, Jesus, Savior, pilot me over life's tempestuous sea. Unknown waves before me roll, hiding rock and treacherous shoal. Chart and compass come from thee, Jesus, Savior, pilot me. 
And when at last I near the shore and the fearful breakers roar between me and the peaceful rest, then while leaning on thy breast, may I hear thee say to me, Fear not, I will pilot thee. Amen.